Have you ever done an enema before? Yeah, of course. I've never done one. What's really? the vibe? Yeah, I mean, all I can think of when I see that is is the film L.A. Story with Steve Martin. It's a pretty funny one if you haven't. But what's what's the vibe? like? <laughs> it's kind of, it's ridiculous. You're like on the bathroom floor, like. With a bunch of water up your ass, or in the tub, I guess. Oh, you did a home. You do home enema. Yeah, what else are you gonna go to a professional? <laughs> I mean, don't they have like yeah? Don't they have like enema places? <laughs> like an enema girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a sh- like a shoe shine stand. Like, Eastern European, like a hot Eastern uh-huh. European model. You come in now. I put water in your ass. <laughs> Wait. So, but what what comes out? Is it just water or is it like water mixed with... It's brown water. Yeah, yeah brown water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, so that's gross, but how does it feel after? It uh, feels like you just took like a massive shit. Okay. Do you feel any other like benefits from it? I mean, I guess it it feels... I mean, you know that feeling, right? When you're just like, whoa, like completely like... Man, I didn't realize you didn't. Re- you don't really realize you have this tension in your, and then it's <laughs> right. gone, and you realize, right. you know, that's kind of what it is. They do say I, I've read that there's some newer studies that uh, there's a link between people with stomach issues and depression, and not just like a, uh, you know, a link like oh your stomach hurts, and because of that you're sad. But an actual like physiological like you know the enzymes that are getting pushed up into your brain like actually oh yeah takes you know takes down serotonin and like you know it's like a actual chemical imbalance where if your stomach is off it can lead to uh, depression apparently. So the reason, <laughs> let's clarify. Yes, the reason that the only reason I've ever done enemas is part of uh, like I used to do like this yearly juice fast cleanse i think i've even talked about it before like one of those like cayenne pepper maple syrup jobs no i would do like a vegetable juice cleanse and it's a detox it's a detox like you would i would as basically i would only consume vegetable juices and the only fruit you're allowed to use is an is apple um Mm -hmm. and uh some lemon and yeah i would do like five days and it's really good but it really like you know, the whole point of it, that the reason I really got into it that made so much sense for me is that your your intestines and your stomach and all of that is constantly 24 hours a day for your whole life, like working on digesting. And right. the idea of giving it a rest just mm. made so much sense to me. And uh, and it totally works. I think it's really it's really good. Uh, just give it a time out. And day three, the first time I did it, I remember my mom who turned me on to it was like, she called me and she's like, what day are you on? I'm like, it's day three. She goes, is your mind calm? <laughs> okay. And I realized like that it was like, there was this quiet, ah. there was like it. And I, re- I compared it to like, you know, when you're in like an old house and you don't realize that the refrigerator's on until it goes off. And then you're like, oh, it's really nice in here. And you didn't realize it was on, but then suddenly it goes off and there's just like this total like relaxed calm. That's exactly the feeling. It was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Because I've only ever done those like really brutal like 
Yeah, like, what is it? Fucking lemon juice, maple syrup, and cayenne pepper. You did that one? I I never had the balls to do that. I've done it a couple times, and then, but... For how many days? uh, I think I did three once, and then, yeah, I think I did two three-day ones, and the thing is, is, like, by, like, the 48 hours, I was like, I don't know what's going on in my stomach. It might be good or bad, but I'm losing my goddamn mind, so it doesn't matter, you know? I'm like... So here's the deal. That one that you're talking about, that's actually ineffectual for shorter for shorter than 10 days. Oh, good. <laughs> you're supposed to do that for 10 days? People do that for a month, dude. Oh, my God. I would have been fucking Michael Douglas and falling down if I did 10 days of that. I'd murder people. I can't do that. You should read it, read it. I've never had the balls to do it, but there's like, they claim a lot. It's one of those things that like, if you look at it, like a lot of it makes sense. Like they claim that like after whatever, like two weeks or whatever, your body starts to consume itself, but it starts with like, mm, you know, like, like the bad stuff. Yeah. Like, so people right. have claimed to like cure cancer with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have cancer and you do that diet, like it might kill you, but it kind of makes sense. I've never had the balls to do it, but it kind of makes sense. And um, I do, I can, I can say that when I've done the cleanse, the fast, you know, that it fucking definitely, definitely does some amazing, like Hmm. my skin just completely clears up. Like if I have any sort of like, like little like pimp like sometimes you now you get like little pimples on the back of your arm or something like all of that shit just completely clears up my hair feels like it's made of like flax <laughs> i'm not kidding dude it's so noticeable it's so incredibly wow. noticeable yeah. that like it really like the first time it, i did it it really freaked me out like that's crazy i i do i have a friend patrick who lives in japan and he's taken to like those intermittent fasting things like once a week. Yeah, I think that's probably good. He yeah, he he swears by it. and uh I think he does like once or twice a week he does like a 24-hour fast basically. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and and yeah, he he really thinks it's great. Maybe that's what Britney Spears needed. <laughs> Possible. Did you watch the doc? No. I watched watched it last night. I watched it last night. I I did. I took it in. Really? Yeah, the movie itself, I mean, really fascinating. I didn't know any of that stuff existed. I didn't even know this whole free Britney thing existed, that she's being like (laughs) held against her will (laughs) under a conservatorship and stuff. It's crazy. I'm ready to turn this conversation to something more important. Are you finished with uh, Britney? More than finished. I'm going to read a list of the people who are paying for this podcast because I want everybody to know. Okay, here it it. is. These are the people that are bringing you this show. Alistair, Brian, Heath, Jonathan, Mogan, Nathan, Sam, Simon, Steph, Steve, Suzanne, Tyler, Vicente, Abby, Brandon, Brandy, Chris, Corey, Daniel, Eggel, Eric, 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 last one with a K, (laughs) H. Edmonds, Hein, Johnny, Kate, Hiltz. Mark, uh, Mike, Nathan, Robert, Sean, TJ, Tofty, Chris, Rebecca, and then let's not forget our big Venmo tippers, Hayden, JS, and Tyler. Tyler. Those are the uh, people that are bringing you this podcast. Not me and Benny. Those people. Mm-mm. 
Those mm-hmm. are mostly all of our patrons that I've just read to you. I read you a couple of Venmo tippers at the end. I love that so much. And well, those are yes. some of the people that you'll be talking with. We'll be talking with tomorrow night mm-hmm. on our uh, weekly fireside chat. That's only for patrons. Um, so yeah, there you go, Benny. We're stepping it wow. up. What a name drop. I love that. Patreon.com slash going off track. I love it. And I love that you finished with Tyler. Do you know why I said the word Tyler like that? <laughs> I grew up, I grew up with the guy Tyler Ran, who ended up playing guitar in the band Midtown. And his dad was very Jewish and used to yell around the house, Tyler! <laughs> Tyler! So I just can't I can't hear that name without hearing that forever, forevermore. Forevermore. <laughs> Bernie ran if you're still around. Big ups. Yeah, but yeah, for real. Thanks to everybody who contributes and is on the chats on Thursday. That's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, you're literally making the program run. We appreciate it. And if you'd like to jump on and join the club, what's the, uh, what's the link? Patreon.com slash going off track. Mm. I just uploaded a new after the tape stops today. Look at that. Brad, check you're it all over it today. All, all over it today. How uh, nice. Yeah. So check it out. There's a bonus material, tons more bonus material coming, and the weekly chat with me and Benny and all kinds of reasons you should be there. But Oh, yeah. You know what else we should check out? Probably this podcast. Yeah. Let's do this <laughs> interview with Brendan. What a wild ride. Let's go on the journey. Can't even see me. Huh. Oh no! Oh, did you did you get dressed up? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a full penguin costume. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, let's get the video on. What is Beaks? What is uh, this? Uh, that's me, Brendan Kelly. Uh, Beaks is uh, a nickname that was come up with for me by I I think Neil Hennessy, um, because my initials are BK. I so, see. BK Beaks. I like that. There are a lot of, uh, if you just do a quick Google of your name, there's quite a few. Brendan Kelly's doing quite a few things out there. (laughs) You know, um, I'm not even the only Brendan Kelly on the north side of Chicago that plays music. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) is is it that that like uh, country guy I saw talking about his old Ford? Because I got Uh, tricked into about two minutes of a song where I was like, wait a minute. This can't be Brendan. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, oh, okay. <laughs> there, there's so many. You know, it's funny. One time we were um, we were flying from uh, Milan to uh, to Athens, and we are are um, we're like at the end of the terminal. You know, like where it kind of like turns into like a. Uh, a bit of a bell end, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and there's like all the like the different. Um, uh, you know, different gates, like right there. Oh yeah, time. like the cul-de-sac, the terminal yes. cul-de-sac. Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. that place is the pit. The yeah, pit. And, and, yeah, and we're sitting there, and it's like Brendan Kelly, please come to your gate. And I was like, okay. And I came up, I was like, hey, you just called me, and they were like, no, we didn't. And then it was like Brendan Kelly, come to your gate. And I was like, no, 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 see, you, you did. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's that gate. And it was for a flight to Dublin, and there was like six guys standing. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah, it's me. So, yeah. I, um, yes, I, I, 
<laughs> but you see, my whole my whole thing is that like you know I like. I look like everybody and um, <laughs> I have the same name as everybody. Like I, <laughs> I'm so is, a very anonymous person. So is that part of, maybe that's part of the fundamental uh, approach to being the Brendan Kelly you are. It's actually pretty interesting. I have some questions leading into that later, but first I just want to see what you're up to. What's, what's your, uh, what's your day to day like right now? How are you um, waking up and creating a, a schedule for yourself? Oh, it's, uh, I'm so glad you asked. I wake up to, you know, um, to barf because of my crippling hangover. And then, uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I, um, I've taken, um, great pains to do almost nothing these days. The last like month of quarantine has been, uh, I don't know about for y'all, but for me, it's been just draining. As yeah. shit. And, and, and like, and so, you know, for a while I was like waking up, I go exercise, then I do this, then I like call people and like network and do all this shit. And now, um, I, <laughs> I sleep in, I get up, I, I like, I work on a blog, I work on a few podcasts, I, um, uh, do project work for, um, Liquid Death, the water um, okay. company. Okay. And, like um, social media stuff? No, 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 more, no, like, like just like humorous copy stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and then, and then like, uh, like for their, like their website or, gotcha. for, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of social media, but it's not like I run the Twitter, you know? Right, um, right. And then, um, uh, I, and I do stuff for Rosetta Stone as well. <laughs> Um, what do you do for Rosetta Stone? Um, well, I did a blog series for them uh, last year that like sort of like rebranded their whole thing because it was, I guess, crass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. And, and they, you know, they're they're known as a pretty like academic brand. And but when it when it uh, when it when it first ran, like in their like little circles, people were like. I don't believe Rosetta Stone has totally reinvented themselves. You know, like it was, it was a really, it was a really fun, fun project to do. And then since then I've worked on a bunch of stuff with them and there's a bunch of, been a bunch of like, like, um, sort of more audio visual stuff that I was going to do with them. But COVID kind of, uh, uh, kicked all that in the dick, you know? Right. So, <laughs> right, right. so at this point, um, you know, now, now I'm just doing like, small project work for them, you know. Uh, but- uh, ra- wrapping it all around, a- Alex from Gaslit Anthem worked at the airport at a Rosetta Stone kiosk for a long time, oh. actually. Yeah. So in a weird way, I'm his boss. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like a, a rebranding? Like you work for the company directly? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I don't work for anybody directly. Uh, cool. I, just like people... It's all just because that fucking uh, because of Twitter, you know. Right, like yeah. companies reach out to me and just go like, "I'd like your thing," and a lot of the time they don't actually want my thing. <laughs> they don't like right. my thing, but but they they try, they try. So. They know your thing <laughs> sells to the kids. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> it's funny because like, uh, you know, I feel like more than half the time people come to me and go like. Oh man, you're the dude from 
nihilist Arby's, I'd like you to do my tweets. And, but then I'm like, but I'm me. Oh, okay. I'll do your tweets. And then I do them and they're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we want. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know how to do you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Were you aware of my worldview when you hired me? (laughs) But like, I, I I can only do me. I like, if you hired me for me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but uh, I don't know. That's funny. So, so is it more for you, like uh, an exercise on, kind of just how to be like okay with things and a little less ambitious it's something i'm going through too like uh i don't i don't know or is it just straight apathy yeah no i mean if anything (laughs) it's gay apathy uh but uh i'm like i i don't know i i you know like i said i sleep in i'll like write write a fucking newsletter post um i'll do a podcast and then you know my my buddy will come over at some point and, you know, we'll crack a few open and there you go. Good, good day. It's a day. Um, and, hey, it's and, a day. I'm, and, and the thing is, I think that for me, it's, I'm trying not to think about the fact that this is like a waste of a life, you know, like you get like one click on this fucking thing. And like, uh, I don't know if you remember before you were born that <laughs> literal infinite amount of time <laughs> where you were non-sentient. Yeah, right. Um, but not aware of it. But it's coming yeah. very soon again. Sure, and sure. Like, and I feel like the existential dread that grips me the second I think about how one of the only years I have on this planet is just being wasted you know and like right right yeah that I, I i can't think about it so like i um i prefer to just be like okay you know what if it's if it's being wasted why don't i just like give in to like the torpor and sloth and, like, right. and fuck it you know and it, it'll be it'll be fine and it'll be good as long as i lean into it as opposed right, to, right. If you feel anything. okay about it, so yeah. so it's like you're okay with the Valhalla of decadence as long as it's like you're just personally comfortable. Like if you wear it, if you wear it well. Well, I mean, okay. I'm not even talking about decadence. I'm talking about <laughs> like hibernating. Right, right. All right. <laughs> you so know? More, more sloth. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sloth and torpor are more my uh, <laughs> my style. And um but but yeah, I just feel like if, if it's like all right, it's not happening, you know, like I put out a record this year. No right. touring on it. You know, I fucking and like and will it ever happen again? I don't even know. You know, that's that's the thing that like is right. like yeah. really kind of horrifies me because it's like I'm 44. Our band wasn't even supposed to still be popular at all. Like we were, <laughs> we were never right. supposed to be popular. Right, right, right. Definitely, we weren't supposed to be more popular than we've ever been as middle-aged men. You know, and <laughs> right. and, uh, and and like we put out a record, and and you know everybody's like, eh, what are they going to do? And then it was a good record, yeah. and people were like, holy shit! And then nope, we don't. <laughs> so right, by right. the time, who knows when this is over? But by the time we come back. It, yeah, we could be forgotten, you know, or, like it, or yeah, old enough for like cruise ship kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, that would be 
That would be the dream. It's the fucking life, right? We're Vegas, Vegas. Yeah. yeah. Residency. Uh-huh. Now you're talking. Vegas would be dope as hell because cruise ship, disgusting. And True. you're like trapped yeah. with like by design, uh, a whole boat of people that uh, are well, your friends yeah. trying to find you. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I'd like that very much. That is yeah. strange. Yeah. That is strange. <laughs> and I hadn't considered that aspect. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I've been fantasizing about the, the punk rock casino for decades now. Oh where, man. Where, where all the old acts go to like retire, like Frank Sinatra style. Oh, that is such <laughs> a good idea. And it's like, so fat Mike. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, it's I us writing itself here, yeah. I don't understand why he hasn't done that. You're I, like I've never considered that, but like as soon as you said it, I was like, Oh yeah, that that fat Mike will own that casino. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> It's like I'm heading out in September. There's a, a month lag wagon residency in the ballroom yeah. or like something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Manicus Manic is playing down in the, uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, right some version room. of some version of me first will always be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like instead of casino games, it'll be like uh, who can win it? Like Edward Forty Hands, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just like <laughs> shitty drunk guy games. Um, <laughs> but, but, but you know, like yes, but uh, in fairness, Fat Mike has made me gamble more than I've ever gambled in, in casinos. Wait, I have a caveat here, though, guys. Yes, is like most casinos. You know, the places we hang out in the casinos, sure, it's people like us. But those casinos are running from the fat cats in the rooms we're not allowed in. Like yeah. punk rock, what I mean, how many times can we get like Dexter from the offspring to come? Like, we don't have too many fat cats to keep this operation nice and slick. And like, if I'm going to Vegas, I need a buffet, you know, I need, <laughs> I need like the stuff if I'm gonna have fun, you know, totally. And yeah, but I mean, like, you know, what we put like a fucking helipad on top and Dexter <laughs> will come in all the time, you know, right, right, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's no problem, but. Yeah, it's so funny you say the buffet. I was just thinking about this. Like, the, remember the buffet, man? Like, uh, like when I first started going to Vegas, I'd like you know be up till four in the morning, and then I'd cruise over and get like mm-hmm. a thirty nine cent all you can eat breakfast buffet. That's right. And then and and you know and I'd fly there from here for like thirty bucks round trip, mm-hmm. and then they realized that you could just. They're like, actually, we can charge as much as we want for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's true. like the, it, the the thought used to be like that if if you could get there cheap, they'd take your money in other ways, right? You know, and then they realized that like, There's oh, actually, suckers. if we make it more expensive, uh, even more people come. That's true. Yeah. Now you got to go to <laughs> Reno for all that. Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, that's where yeah, or, or Tijuana. That's well, right. I remember we had a good back in the '90s. It was a great like deal here. You could go to, you could get a bus ride to Atlantic City, and make money. Basically, you could get a free lunch out of it because you paid 15 bucks for the bus. They gave you 15 bucks in uh, chips when you got there and a voucher for lunch. So if you just wanted to go to the beach, you just take your chips, cash them in, 
Go to the beach, come back for lunch. Oh, that's a pretty good scam. Yeah. Ride. That sounds yeah. that is my kind of shit right there. <laughs> but I Brad, lo- I but Brad isn't telling you one thing about this, and I know what he's talking about. <laughs> I never did the AC ones, but I know about the Chinatown Express. And that is a scary bus ride wherever you're going. It is fucked up. I watched the person get left in a McDonald's in Connecticut because they didn't get back in one of those buses in like the five minutes that was said. I saw his bag. His bag was right next to me. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, don't do it. No, he's, he's going to come. He just wanted oh a, a egg and cheese or something. Yeah, no, yeah. you, you got to be on your toes. And it's not the ride down that's scary. It's the ride back. Right. It's right. all right, the right. losers. But that's, oh. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's right. You don't take the bus home if you win. Yeah, yeah. you stay. Yeah, you stay. <laughs> so, well, speaking of going away, can you tell me a little bit about this, uh, the Sonic Ranch that Matt Allison owns where you did Skeleton Key? Or I don't know if he owns, but works there. But sounds uh, no, like no, a no. pretty, uh, pretty otherworldly uh, experience. Okay. Um, a few, a few things like minor, just minor, uh, uh, points here before I cool. get too into it. Uh, Skeleton Coast is the name of the record. And, oh, I'm uh, so sorry. Sorry, sorry. No, sorry. no, it doesn't. I, it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't care. But uh, and 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 um, Matt doesn't work there at all. We he works with us, and we uh, went down there. You just brought so him. It, yeah. So it's um, it's about forty five miles outside of El Paso, Texas. Okay. And it is on a pecan ranch. Wow. It's 3,000 acres of pecans, <laughs> and there are seven little houses, each of which has the nicest studios, the top seven nicest studios I've ever seen. Wow. Right. And, and like, and I, like, I've been there when, like, you know, Alkaline Trio's been recording in LA or like when the Suicide Machines right, recorded yeah. their major label debut or whatever. I've seen some nice fucking studios. Seen some goofy so, spots before, yeah. Right, right. And and I, I say with no exaggeration, these are the seven nicest studios I've ever seen. Wow. And uh and across the way from each of those seven little houses are seven other little houses, and that's where you stay oh if God. you're in that you know, studio. So like from like for where we were, you're in this little hut or whatever recording. And it's about, uh, I don't know, like 500 meters back over to where you sleep. And like our place was actually really interesting because the, the, the spot, what all the, the doors, um, Every room had a door to the outside and every door to the outside had like jail bars um, as like a second door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a regular like wood door, but then there was like a jail bars door. Okay. And um, it's because it used to be the fucking border (gasps) holding cell. Oh. But they, they moved the border, I guess, two miles south. You could see like the Sentinels patrolling from where we were in the day because it's like just very clear and yeah it's there's not a lot um i mean it's like red clay a lot of pecans (laughs) 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 and 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 like but at night like there's buckets of flashlights by every single door because it's just like once the sun goes down yeah you're fucking done and so like how far are you from anything in this spot like 
Uh, okay, so it would take, it was about a 20 minute drive for me to go to the dollar store, which is where I could get a beer. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> significant, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really the middle of nowhere. And, and the thing is, it, it just becomes so freeing and neat. Like, so for what? Okay. I mean, there's so much about this place that's amazing. Like they, they have like all these unbelievable vintage, uh, instruments and amplifiers and pedals and everything like that. Like more than like, it's beyond a museum. Wow. You know, it's, it's just like, like everything I think Chris played on was like a guitar from before 1960 in an amp before 1950, you oh, know? Wow. Like, okay. And it would be like these pedals, like Matt Allison, he knows the shit like so well. It was hilarious. Cause like we would have had the, um, the engineer's assistant who would have been our engineer if we'd just gone there without bringing our own producer. Yeah. Right. Um, he, he, you know, uh, um, Matt's like, his name was Mal, and uh, and and Matt's like, yo, Mal, what's this? Is this like a DX six fifty? You you can tell that this is like the one from nineteen sixty eight because that's the only year they use like uh, Phillips head screws, <laughs> Phillips head screws, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, right. and and Mal was like, oh man, where did you find these guy? Uh, uh, it's like uh, antique archaeology or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it, it was, it was, it was crazy. But, um, the, the way it would work is every morning we wake up about like 8.30. We drive like a mile through the pecans to the main hacienda where the ladies, as they were known, okay. would make us bre- breakfast burritos. Oh. And we'd eat How them. good? How, just tell me how good they were. Um, they're the best food oh. I've ever had. Oh, yeah. yeah, just imagining. <laughs> and, and it was just so simple and pure and good. Yeah. And then, and then you, you know, you finish your coffee and you go back to the studio. You're there by 10. You work till three. Uh, Mal and his assistants bring our lunch to our little house. We go back over there, eat for like an hour and then we work till as late as we feel like that day. And so it was like, and then you do the same thing again. And it was like very much like being at album camp. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you got to like be somewhere for breakfast, like on that schedule. Yeah. Well, you don't have to do a well, goddamn yeah. thing, but if it's you want to like, eat you, that burrito. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah it, it was just, it was just like really focusing and cool and fun and, also, if I die and I'm like listing the top 10 craziest experiences of my life and that's not on it, I still got a lot of shit to do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hell of a notch on your belt. So what did it do like uh, creatively for you? I mean, did you did you really feel like a uh, tangible difference between being out there and being hyper-focused in the situation and, and some other situations you'd been in recording previously? Uh, it's, it's interesting because, like, you, the, the way, like, we've been a band for a really long time, and we've been working with Matt Allison for a really long time. And so there is, like, a certain 
I would say, if anything, there became a little bit, at times, more creative tension from, like, the proximity mm. and, and the, like, sort of isolation right, of like everything. Literally, like, like, no escape, yeah. Right, well, well just, just more like, if I'm going to say something, everyone's going to hear it. I can't, like, take Matt aside. <laughs> you know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right, right, right. Uh, you, you know, stuff like that. So I think that was one thing. But uh, But another thing was that I think that it created a real, like, more like a sense of, like, camaraderie. And, like, with the Lawrence Arms, it's always been, like, us against the world and, like, fuck literally everybody else. That's sort of, like, right. one of our main yeah. things. And being out there doing this, I think that really, living in, living in a fucking, you know, border-holding cell, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think did it... Uh, it really highlighted that. I mean, like, I know that uh, everybody, like, kind of brought it as hard as they could. And that was, I don't know that that's always evident, you know? Like, uh, we've, right, we've done yeah. some records that have turned out terrific where I think it just kind of happened to turn out terrific. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this time, it was like... Everybody kind of like, like we, we, we were out there in the desert. We had 10 days, like it was, or 14 days, 14 days. And it was like, that's a very short amount of time for us. Yeah. I can imagine that that place uh, is not cheap by the day. It is not cheap by the day. It's, (laughs) um, uh, so we had 14 days and we, so that was that was actually between being isolated um and the sort of pressure cooker of a temporal restraint um mm. it, cre- it it created a totally different kind of vibe you know yeah. but I, I don't know i mean it was it was it was great i couldn't like put my finger on it and be like oh it and it led to this but right. it, it was it was different well, it's, inter- it's really interesting you say about the, you know, the um, the ability to to speak and when not to speak when you're much more exposed like that. I was just talking to my wife the other day about how, you know, sometimes you're in these like hippie areas. You know, I have, let's say, a pretty cool hip sort of hippie area around me. And in the last like month, I've seen the hippies do some like, extremely unhippie shit, you know, where I'm like, you seem really worked up for someone so committed to this lifestyle, you know, like what's going on here. This seems a little false. And then I'm thinking about like farmer Jim out in his ranch who has the ability to like sit on his porch and look out and be still and be comfortable with his thoughts and pick and choose what you say to other people and carefully say it. And I'm like, that's the Zen guy. That's the hippie, you know? So I wonder (laughs) if, like, all that space kind of puts, like, an extra emphasis on on sort of the right things, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, okay, first of all, um, I've never met a hippie that wasn't uptight as shit. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Two two of the places that I've been treated 
<laughs> Honestly, I've always two of the places that I've been treated the rudest are Berkeley and Woodstock. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's full of fucking assholes, man. Uh, hippies <laughs> are assholes, and and like it, like. <laughs> it's not, and it's not just me being a punk and being like, oh, our sworn enemies are the hippies. No, it's uh, although I mean that's true. I mean, if I've got to fall in line in the army, I will. But like, I, I just mean more like literally. Like when I meet hippies, it's always like, no, man, it's cool. And the next thing you know, they're fucking screaming at somebody for right. something. And it's yeah, just yeah. like, hey, what the? Uh, okay, but uh, <laughs> it's my distinct impression that if you have to pronounce yourself something you're not that thing mm -hmm. you know it's it's sort of like it's a fair assessment like it, it, it's like it's like george costanza trying to get himself nicknamed t-bone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. like okay whatever you're gonna pretend you are go ahead but yeah yeah, yeah. like waka waka but i will say that um farmer jim down there with all his space and stuff like that, he can pick and choose when he speaks and when he doesn't. Which also means that he can say whatever the fuck he wants, which is fine. Mm. But it means he's never challenged right. to like to what his viewpoints are. You know? Sure, and, sure, and so, sure. And so it, it creates a myopia that um, breeds um, xenophobia, doesn't mm. it? Um, you sure. know, like, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm not trying to like shit talk small towns or people that live in isolated communities by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll tell you what, man, if I meet somebody that's like racist as shit from uh, like down in the bayou in Louisiana or whatever, uh -huh. I'll be like, Oh, you just haven't been around. Right. 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 If I meet somebody that's racist as shit from Detroit, I'm like, all right, yeah, I yeah. bet you've seen some shit. Yeah, yeah you know. made a choice, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You made a conscious choice. Yeah. yeah. I've been a little hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the point I was making is a little less in, because uh, you're right. I mean, it's totally, um, you know, it can be uh, untested opinions and untested optimism out there because you're right. There's no one to. To challenge it, I, I was more talking about stillness. You know, the idea yeah. that I can see some hippie in a Subaru Outback, which this happened last week, going, What? Can you fucking drive? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, what are these bumper stickers for, dog? Like, you're about, <laughs> I'm like, You're about to go spend twice as much money in the organic market. Like, fucking, you know, like, like live how you're supposed to live. And then, you know, I just think about the people out there, like, the idea that uh, I guess just comfortable in that stillness, you know, is is what Farmer yeah. Jim can do. Less less what he thinks. God, no, I don't want to talk to that guy. I don't want to know what he has to say. No, no, for sure. <laughs> you, but you're you're talking about like the pressure cooker of like yeah, going to the organic market and having to spend twice as much as you're supposed to, and having to sit in traffic to get there, right? And how that would affect even the most chill person, right? And yeah, it, disregarding the term hippie because there's no such thing as a chill hippie, um, <laughs> and and, uh, and how, yeah, Farmer Jim, man, he's he's kicking it, and and here's the thing. Who cares what he fucking thinks? <laughs> I'm not around him. You right. know, like yeah. he is, he's not he's not building policy or anything like that. You know, that affects other people. Yeah, I don't sure. give a fuck if he like hates the Kurds. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Oh, it's too good, man. So, I mean, so you seem to be like, you you know, just from your writing and your lyrics and everything for years, you know, you seem to be fascinated with with people and the human condition in general. Can you remember for you, like, where that started and and if it was influenced in, in the in the home by parents or something like that? Um, yeah, uh, this is a little weird. Nobody's ever asked me that before. I really appreciate the question. Um, um, but you're right that first of all, I just want to preface this by saying that's absolutely what my passion is, is the human condition and the way people work and stuff like that. That's everything that, everything that I'm into is informed by that first and foremost. Um, and what I think it comes from, and it's like, I'm no big city, uh, psychoanalyst, but, uh, my parents uh, were divorced before I was born. I grew up with just my mom in a small apartment. Um, and we were, you know, in proximity quite a bit (laughs) due to that. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a fucking one room shack or anything like that. Like I I didn't grow up poor. It was just like, you know, whatever. I feel you. I'm single mom apartment, uh, uh, raised as well. So I I can empathize. And so, but I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid. And, um, my mom would travel a lot. And my mom also, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. I hope she never listens to this to hear me talk about (laughs) her like this, but, uh, she is very, um, I don't know how to say this the right way. I mean, it's just really hard for me to say anything like negative about my mom. I don't want to, but like she's fucking into what she's doing. Mm. And if like what's happening is not like locked up with that, she gets pissed. And I think that from a very young age, my entire, entire existence was reading her face reading her moods mm. to try to like navigate that shit and because it was that was it for me man it was me and my mom in this small apartment and then she'd leave and leave me with like weird uh i don't know like strange nannies or whatever but right uh, <laughs> but uh um so yeah i think that it's i think that she uh, me trying to make sure that she was happy and anticipating when like shit was going to pop off because yeah. she also has a temper that's not yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, it, it has a lot to do. It's like, you know, I studied one human's condition. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, uh, very extensively, and as I think that's probably yeah. I really, yeah, I mean, I really empathize with what you're talking about because you're 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 saying something that I'm I'm seeing in my own uh, uh, seeing for my own life, and I never really considered it that way. Um, <laughs> and it's very true. Uh, was it kind of like an up and down thing where like 
you know, I know for me, part of the biggest challenge of that was like, I never really knew who was coming through the door. I didn't know if it was like the nice one or the mad one. And like that dictated so much of why I'm hypersensitive to, you know, people's emotions in the outside. Like, was it like that for you at all? A hundred, a hundred percent. And, and like, I, like, you know, my mom never like hit me or anything like that. Like, uh, you know, and, and like, I, like, I, I, I hesitate to like get onto to it to a point where it sounds like, uh, it was abusive or anything, but I mean, I'm obviously fucked up. It is a but, little, it is. It's emotionally, it's, it's emotionally <laughs> taxing when you're supposed to be feeling a different kind of emotional landscape, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's weird. It's like, I see my kids do it with like my wife who is like, exactly like my mom in that way, which is terrifying to me. And, um, and like with me too, cause it's like, I, I mean, I've, I've stopped. I recognized at one time I was yelling at my son and I just saw that he was like trying to navigate my emotions. And I was right. like, Oh, I'm doing it again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you know? hard to not perpetuate. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's like, uh, the fuck do I know? I never, I don't know what fucking dads do, man. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right like, in the playbook as you go. Yeah. yeah, I mean like the fucking like <laughs> my mom my, uh here, here you go. If we're if you're gonna fucking open up the, the door to my past, you have to listen to this fucking story. Yeah. Um my mom had a boyfriend uh back in the day named Malcolm who sold um all, everyone in my family fake uh, shares in stock to a diamond mine that doesn't exist. And um, he used to take me out to the Christmas tree lots. And you know how they cut off like the bases of the Christmas trees? Yeah. Uh, you know, like when you buy it, like they cut off the bottom, like a little right. yeah, disc. Yeah. Um, he'd have me, he'd, he'd send me into the Christmas tree lots to collect them. Keep in mind, this is my mom's boy. He doesn't live with us. He's just like a guy in a fucking Ford Ranger or whatever. Like, yeah, you know? right, 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 right. <laughs> like, has and, no right to be sending you on operations. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, right, and, yeah. But, but he <laughs> would have me collect those in bags and then he would have me sell them on the streets <laughs> what? as firewood. Oh my God. <laughs> And then he would oh. fucking take me down to the fucking, uh, like he'd take me down to like weird construction sites and have me go into the dumpsters and pull out like all the lead and aluminum and shit. Oh, the and metal, then, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then like go to the fucking like recycling place and <laughs> fucking cash it in. Yeah. You know, Um so that's like what I knew as like being a dad. Kind right. Of. Was Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I read that he died and I was like so thrilled. <laughs> oh, no. Why am I laughing? <laughs> this is what you do to me, Brendan. You make me laugh about things I'm not supposed to. You're very good at that. <laughs> but, all right. So. I heard though you also you spent some of your formative years in uh in like Boys Town in Chicago and I was was wondering being there early on like sort of like politically and culturally did that sort of 
kind of help frame your your think your thinking as as you move forward? You think? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, I grew up in Boys Town, and that's that's where that apartment that I'm talking about was, and uh, and it was it was first of all. It was, fucking hilarious i mean <laughs> my mom would be like walking me to the movie theater and there'd be like a i'm using finger quotes here shoe repair place mm-hmm. <laughs> the the picture in the window would just be this huge veiny boner <laughs> like wrapped in leather oh, <laughs> that was like, a leather spot and i'm like that's not shoes yeah, you know right. and I was like, that's like, no, no it's not shoes you know but uh. <laughs> but the thing is like um i uh my uncle, who was really close with my mom, was a gay dude, uh, lived in Manhattan and died of AIDS in 1986, which was like kind of before yeah. I'd even heard the word AIDS, you know? Sure. And I kind of was there and watched him die. And, you know, um, the, sorry, it's really drag. Oh um, no, it, we have plenty it, it, of it, it was I'll tell you what, it was less fun than it sounds. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um uh I think that the confluence of all of this made it so just like the idea of like, you know, like everyone in like the I mean, I grew up in the fucking 80s and 90s, you know, and everybody was fags and homos and all that kind of shit and like i mean i still think that there is a time and a place where a properly placed terrible slur can be just fucking hilarious and it's like i've always said if something is funny it's not racist it's not homophobic like (laughs) funny is just funny right and there's nothing funny about those things (laughs) you know i mean the people who can get away with that shit the only ones who can get away with it are the ones who are funny. So I think there is some truth to that. Yeah. yeah and, and, and like, and like, and, but my point is I've all like, even through that time when that shit was totally like on TV, even. Yeah. Right. It never, I was never down. Like I lived, I grew up in a gay neighborhood. I watched my uncle David's like, like I, <laughs> I'm not, down with this like when um so the first band i was in that toured was slapstick you know right. um and went like and we were i mean i was 16 17 right you know? H- hence the ska i get it yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> hence the ska Give me the name of my biography and like people be like hey fags I'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm gay as hell. What what's up? Right. I'm, yeah, right. I am I am gay. Come up here, I'll suck your dick and uh mm-hmm. fuck you in the ass right now. You know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and like it doesn't sound like anything today, now that there's been like such a seismic shift in like yeah. how culture proceeds, uh perceives, you know, like gay rights and shit like that. Sure. But but in like 1993, yeah, yeah, to be a 16 year old kid talking to a skinhead, right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, it was so antithetical to like the machismo shit going on at the time. Um, yeah, that that the way to own it in those days was to was to do exactly what you did, 
You make them as uncomfortable as possible, right? Yeah, and it, but it was it was like always like for me it was like I'm not I'm not putting up with people calling people fags. No. Like I don't like it. Mm-mm. All right, this is a perfect time for a pivot. We need a pivot, so we're Great. gonna do something <laughs> called mystery friend. Okay. This is where I get a story from a mysterious friend of yours. I'll prompt you on the story. I'd like you to tell me the story and then try to guess who told me said story. Okay. So I heard about a time that your tour manager left a fanny pack with a bunch of drugs and all of your cash at a Burger King on the table (laughs) and apparently went back the next day and it was still there. What is this miraculous experience? Because <laughs> okay. I lost the skateboard at a Burger King in literally 90 seconds when I was a kid. I left it for 90 seconds and it was gone. So the idea this fanny pack stayed is blowing my mind. Um, well, uh, <laughs> so it was Paul Tylenda, who is our tour manager, and... Um, he, it was only, we had driven about an hour and a half. Okay. And, uh, then what's so weird is I, I don't remember us turning around. Like the way I remember it is like, he just went back, but that can't be possible because that's not how being on tour works. Right. Right. So, so like, I, uh, I think I, I, you know, there's obviously already holes in my uh, version of the story. Do you remember yeah, where it was, where it was? Um, my my gut is like that shitscape between me and you, man. Like that, like <laughs> Indiana, horrendous, Indiana, yeah. Ohio, right. fucking yeah. like. Western Pennsylvania, besides Pittsburgh, which I think is beautiful, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 into like the grossest of states, yeah, <laughs> which is like non not Vermont is okay, but it's not for me. I don't like that for other reasons, but like <laughs> I feel like don't you feel like when you get into like your New Hampshire's and your Concord, your your uh, Connecticut's and shit like that. And everything is just like so grimy and someone's always left like a turd in the toilet. And <laughs> it's just like, all you can eat is subway. It, it sucks. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was someplace in that general swath. Okay. I, I think. <laughs> and, um, Paul went in and he was like, I'll tell you exactly what's in that bag. It's it's mine, and because we called, oh okay, you know, okay. And, they, and they had it, and then. So when he was on the Paul, phone with him, he told them there was illicit substances in there as well. No, 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 no. Okay, um, okay. He and and and. So this is making me think that who told you this was Toby Jag? Because, it was. I knew um, that'd be too obvious. Uh, so you didn't get Toby. I didn't get Toby. Uh, because I don't think there was drugs in there. Um, uh, okay. I think it was just money, but it was a lot of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and so, uh, 
Paul called and he was like, Hey, do you have my, uh, hip bag? I left it there. And they said, yes. And he said, don't open it. I will be there. and I'll, conf- I'll confirm the content. And so he fucking cruised back and, um, he goes, all right, I'll tell you exactly what's in there to prove to you it's mine. And the person, the manager or whatever said, um, now nah, I don't need here. I know it's yours. Like, right. Who, what the fuck? <laughs> you look like goes, a guy who would wear a fanny pack. And he goes, but what's in there? And Paul goes, would have changed your life. <laughs> oh, <it's> so good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which, like, he uh, came out and told us that. And, like, again, I'm remembering him as, like, having come back after we, like, you know, like, but so I, I don't remember, like, I don't know how this could have possibly worked, but I was like, you said that? Yeah. You're such a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, where? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty gangster. It's gangster, especially on the fly. No, it, yeah. at the, at the, in the immediate moment, I was like, you just motherfucked a guy that like saved us fucking <laughs> all of our money That's for, true. you know, Q3. <laughs> uh, it is a bad uh, lesson, too, because the next time a fanny pack gets left there, there's no chance mm-hmm. the guy's not rifling through it now, you know? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a bad precedent here, Paul. It does. Yeah. It does. But, um, okay, so who told you this story? All right, so I need a caveat, okay, just because it would be impossible. The person who told me this story wasn't there. So I'm going to give you a series of clues on this person. It's a person Great. you like very much. Great. This person is from Pennsylvania. Okay. This person really likes aliens. Tom May. Yeah, I got it from Tom <laughs> I got it from Tom May. <laughs> I was like, no, you got a story about Brett? And he, he lays it on me. I'm like, wait, were you there? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, still a good story. Let's play with it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, what's really awesome is I don't believe Tom knows that story. <laughs> he, might, he got it somewhere. I don't, I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, we... Dude, I mean, it must be a legendary tale at this point. I mean, that line—that's yeah, a line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, the fact—the fact that that wasn't in your um, take on it was, <laughs> means that, like, whoever told him the story didn't tell it very well. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Pretty secondhand, secondhand news. The best right part. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a funny fucking story. Um, all right, I wanted to get into some because I—I never knew this had happened. Uh, because I'm not very good at, you know, punk rock gossip and I actually make it a point to stay as far away as I can. Um, but I read a bunch of stuff that you kind of went, uh, toe to toe with the warp tour. And, you know, I was reading some of your commentary about why, and I gotta say, I think you're right. Um, or were right, you know, since it's not a thing anymore, can you explain like some of that situation and how that all came to pass? Yeah, man. Um, so basically like to keep it a little bit uh, brief. Cause I can talk about this for like days and it's, <laughs> it's not interesting anymore because like the world has changed so much that none of it's even relevant anymore. Mm. But, uh, we we went on. Okay, 
okay, first of all, it used to be that, you know, a bunch of bands would go on tour, right? And, like, back in the day, it's like, you know, you got your, like, 10 big punk rock bands or whatever. Right. And your 10 mid-sized punk rock bands and, like, your 10 up-and-coming punk rock bands. And they'd all do tours, right? right. And uh, and they'd all hit these independent venues. Mm-hmm. And the scene would thrive. All these bands had fucking shows and local openers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and like, and, and, and the the clubs would prosper. Sure. The bands would prosper, whatever. And then the warp tour came along and was like, Hey, we'll take those 10 bands. And, and then the options for the smaller bands, which was us was like tour against the warp tour. Right. Which sucks. Which sucks. Yeah. Or tour on the warp tour, which sucks which even sucks more. Worse, yeah. And and, <laughs> uh, and like so then it robs all these independent venues of their fucking livelihood. I mean, and it's so fucked up to say this now in like COVID times, and also now when that kind of package festival tour is no longer like a viable thing right. in general, yeah. and also when there's such a good like online network. This was like before, but it's just important to keep in mind that this was before all that kind of stuff. Right. So this was like a really like salient point at the time, you know? And, and like, and I was like, so instead of seeing like having like 10 nights in Iowa city where I get to see like 10 of my favorite bands at like, this cool club that my friend owns. I can go to a fucking shitty band show and like barely see them all for like a truncated half hour set. I thought that that's exactly why we started punk rock in the first place was not to have to go to the band show. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and, and like, and fucking, it's just like, you know, and fucking, uh, I remember, like, and so then we did the Warp Tour. Did you, like, were uh, you, like, holding out for a while and then finally kind of, like, acquiesced? Oh, or, no, uh, no, 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 no. This was, we were. First time you were asked. We were. Okay. We, we were not popular at right, the time okay. at, yeah. all, at all. But, like, you know, we, it, it was right when we signed to Fat. Okay. And, um, and it sucked. I mean, I remember the the first day, like one of the dudes. There's a band called The Line, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the bass player looked so much like Fat Mike that I thought he was Fat Mike. <laughs> um, uh, and he was the sound guy. Okay. And our first day, I'm like, "Hey, can I get more vocals?" And he's like, "No." Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, "Great." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because it was just like there's just like this hyper, like weird competitive yeah, spirit on right. it, and I was like, this has nothing to do with punk rock. Like, I don't like this field. I don't like being outside. Yeah. I don't like all these fucking shithead bands. Like, and I don't like pretending like I've got to be better than you or you've got to be better than me. That's not what I'm doing. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, like why am I competing with the fucking handsome skinny kids again? This was like supposed to be over. Right. Yes, it's like again, exactly, exactly. That's why we did punk rock. Right. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you're too handsome. So, go, go, go do something else. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was just like fucking furious um, about the whole experience, and um, and then our roadie uh, when we okay, so then the story gets a lot crazier than you're expecting, <laughs> I think. Um, so then we were about to get signed to Grand Royal. Oh, wow. Uh, really? <laughs> which was the, yeah, the Beastie Boys yeah. label. And, and I know uh, you're a big fan as well, right? Lo- uh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, one of the most important bands in my life is the Beastie Boys, yeah. Uh, and the label that was like in the process of launching at the drive-in at the time. Okay. And, um, and, and, and it was like... Some serious, like, we've only got four bands. We're a major label, but we could, you know. Oh, right. Uh, we could do whatever. And it, and it's Gary Gersh and John Silva, who, I mean, Benny, you know mm-hmm. better than me. The manager and uh, agent of uh, Nirvana. Right. It's where they made all their, their money or whatever. And they made their bones or whatever you <laughs> yeah. say. Uh, and and um, are the owners along with Mike T. So we're... <laughs> to give you an idea of how fucking shitty the Warp Tour... Okay. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I want to take a tiny break here to tell a completely different Warp Tour story, <laughs> okay. which is so much better because it's... um. Matt Skiba told me this story, and it's him and uh, fucking Dickie Barrett mm-hmm. <laughs> are sitting eating breakfast between the bus. Two Hall of Famers. Two Hall of Famers. Yeah, and, uh, and fucking um, Kevin Lyman, who runs the Warped yeah. Tour, came up to him and goes, Dudes, so today, those young ladies that have been outside the gates every day, I went up and talked to them. And I said, hi, ladies. I've noticed you've been outside the gates. And they said, this is our dream. We just, we love you guys. And, um, you know, we we love the Warp Tour. And I told them, you can come inside and work in the, uh, you know, food service line. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. And you can do it for the rest of the tour. Oh. And I hired them all on. And Matt's like, and he was so fucking proud. He's they, and they were like, this is our dream come true. <laughs> and Matt was like, that's cool, man. <laughs> and Dickie Barrett doesn't even look up and goes, that's your dream? <laughs> Serving slop to a bunch of assholes in a fucking parking lot? <laughs> Jesus Christ, kid, get some new dreams. <laughs> Uh, laying it down. <laughs> Bless Dickie Barrett. Uh, so anyway, so going praise back me, to praise me, praise me. I just yeah. like I want I I just wanted to lay that down because that is all I need to know about Kevin. Lyman, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, there. it's, it's a highlight. It's a highlight. And and and, and uh, well, he's going to feature into the rest of this. <laughs> um, 
And so they booked us on the Warp Tour and then, but didn't book us on the Chicago date. Oh, weird. Right? Okay. They had they had us stopping in Kansas City, I believe. Something like that, you know? And um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, lived in, in Denver. So I went to Denver and we actually, the, the day we got off, uh, we went to Red Rocks and saw Willie Nelson, and um, and I pissed her off at the concert, and she was mad at me, and she was about to move to Chicago like three weeks later, and I pissed her off enough that I was like, she's maybe not going to move. Had a Willie Nelson but concert. That, yeah, I, I spent too much time calling Chris and like playing the music for him <laughs> instead of like dancing with her or whatever you mm-hmm, know like mm-hmm. i just being a boy you know like it, it like, just, like it was it was bad behavior i sure. mean like but it was innocent but bad fairly behavior. typical <laughs> innocuous bad behavior yeah yeah and, and, and so and um but then we find out grand royal wants to see us play they want us at at chicago warp tour oh okay the next day, they've bought us plane tickets. Um, we're we're gonna be there, um, and we got the prime spot. You know, it's like the seven fifteen slot or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I fly back. I am not in a good mood because. I'm like this girl that I would like to marry. I don't even think she's ever going to hang out with me. Right, again. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and I call my friend Marcus, who, um, like, I used to live with. He's an old friend of mine and Chris's and Neil's. Um, and we were like, we need you to do merch for the Warp Tour. I know. Yes, yeah. no. It, that's actually, yes, that's the sentence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, and so Marcus comes out, and um, so we're there. And, okay, Marcus has ectodermal dysplasia, which means that he has no sweat glands. Oh, and okay. uh, I told you the story is going to get a lot yeah, wilder yeah. than you thought. Yeah, it's uh, taking some turns, okay. <laughs> so he's got no sweat glands whatsoever. And, and this was 2001... When, besides the actual dates I'm about to say, one was September 11th, 2001. Oh, oh. uh-huh. That's a day. Yeah. That's a day. Yeah. And so this was just before okay. that. Um, but it was August and it was fucking hot in Chicago. And Marcus was out there and there's like no canopies, no shade. And the water was five dollars, uh, which now sounds normal, but in two thousand one, that was insane. insane. Yeah, that was yeah. like twenty two dollars yeah, for yeah. water. Is what that sounded wise, like. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. at the time, you know. And Wait, so, what? Ha- just out of curiosity, like, uh, what happens to someone without sweat glands in that situation? Is it very dangerous? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. yes. It's very, it's very yeah. dangerous. Well, I think we'll we'll get You're into okay. it <laughs> in a second. So, what Marcus usually needs to do is he needs to like spray his shirt down uh-huh. to like sort of uh, 
mimic like sweat or whatever. You know what I mean? Because it's cooler right. when you like get wet. And like that's why in like India they drink hot tea, even though it's mm. so fucking hot, because it makes you sweat and then that cools you huh. down because the the liquid makes you cold. You know? That's crazy. Um which I mean is like kind of like counterintuitive in a way, but uh I don't know. That's makes fucking sense. Talk to society. Makes some degree of sense. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of Indians. They seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Don't talk to me, Playboy. Um, but um, <laughs> fucking, uh, so then the uh, so so Marcus is unable to get water because it's fucking five bucks and it's outrageous. I'm already in a bad mood. Gary Gersh and John Silva. And Mike D are there to watch <laughs> us to be the next band on Grand Royal, mm-hmm. which means every single person on the Warp Tour, Kevin Lyman down, is there right. to watch yeah, us. Because, big deal for the Warp Tour. Because, yeah. yeah. And, and so Marcus comes up to me and he's like, dude. I'm sorry, but I'm going to die if I stay. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, go like, home. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want you to die. Not for Warped Tour. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit about selling any T-shirts. Like, please, whatever. And um, we get up on stage. And so, like, like my best friend is about to die because of this thing. I just had the worst two weeks of my life on this fucking tour. Um, I hate what this tour is philosophically. And uh, my girlfriend is leaving me. It's a perfect storm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Gary Gersh and John Silva are out there with every single person in the Warp Tour uh, watching. And so we walk out and, you know, Huge crowd, totally there for us. Probably the biggest crowd at the time we'd ever played to that was like our crowd. And like really in hindsight, and I've never acknowledged this before, it was like the first time it was ever like hometown, like like real love mm. for us. Okay. You yeah, know? yeah. But I didn't see that at the time mm. at all. And uh and and so I, we walked out and I said, hey, what's up? Um, I just want you guys to know that I think this festival is complete bullshit. Um, uh, I've been watching the ambulances come in and out of here, fucking taking people out from, from heat stroke. There's no shade. The water's $5 and it's fucking complete nonsense. They don't care about you at all. There's nothing punk rock about this. I thought we fucking started punk rock to get away from this. Um, I just want you all to know that the next time the Lawrence Arms play in Chicago, it's going to be inside and the water's going to be free. We're the Lawrence Arms. <laughs> oh. you know, And that's the first thing I said before we got on stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's almost verbatim. Whoa. And <laughs> that's punk rock. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> and when, uh, when I got off the stage... I was like, 
35 messages? That's oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's unusual. I, I don't usually have yeah. that many. <laughs> and it was just, it was just uh, our booking agent. You've, and I have shared the same booking agent, Corey Christopher. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, what did you do? Yeah. What did you do? What did you so, do? So Kevin and, leaves the stage, doesn't approach you face to face and just starts hitting up Corey about his issues. Yeah, oh, uh, what happened was, according to Corey, was that one of the Nirvana boys turned to Kevin and said, so I guess these guys will never play this festival again. He goes, nope. And then they all walked off. Didn't even watch. What it. the fuck did they care about that? That seems like yeah. a weird part of this story. Like, why did Grand Royal care if you gave a shit about Warped Tour? If anything, that seems like, uh, like, oh, you're signing this subversive punk band. Here you go. This is what you're getting. Like, that seems a little strange. I'd love to think you're right. But the funniest part about it is that the next day, Grand Royal filed for bankruptcy. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so it was like, they were like looking for some huge bankable act. Like I see. Oh, okay. So they're in their phones like, Texting someone being like, okay, not the next green day. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole thing is wow. funny. And I mean, like, it's a real, like, Forrest Gumpism for me of, like, just, like, kind of, like, being around stuff without actually being involved right. in it, yeah, you know? Yeah. But, um, no, I stand by all that shit, though. I mean, and fucking, I'm glad it's done. Yeah. You know? uh, I think it's funny. And I read like a lot of the stuff you said about it. And, you know, I had a similar thing. Like, you know, we were literally on Side One Dummy asked to do Warp Tour every year. And we were always just like, nah, like, I don't want to do that. Like, that, that seems bad, you know? Um, so, so we had a similar uh, upbringing with that where Kevin certainly didn't like us either. Um, but. Well, that's good. And I mean, like, I am such a huge fan. And uh, I'm glad that we can be kindred spirits on that um, because I always like it when, you know, the bands I admire uh, are into the same shit that I'm into. The funny thing is, I was talking to Fat Mike about, I, there's a song on our 2006 record, Oh Calcutta. It's the sort of like hidden track mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's about the warp tour and, there's one line that's inspired by me talking to Fat Mike, and I'm like, "Why would you fucking do this?" <laughs> right? And he he was like, "Dude, it's summer vacation. I play like half an hour, and I get paid the same more money than I would get paid to do, you know, my full hour and a half set. Why wouldn't you do it?" And it's a great fucking <laughs> Fat Mike impression, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> but I was just like that is just the yeah. most perfect fucking example of what sucks about this but yeah tour. it was different for them you know no effects you know was on the bus you know like like yeah. a short set you know they're not playing at like 12 30 you know like they, they they were like some about half a dozen people 
or half a dozen bands had a great warp tour experience and then about 215 yeah, yeah. <laughs> wanted to kill themselves after two months yeah 100% <laughs> yes uh, you, you couldn't be more right you know it's funny because those drives like because oh. we got like the fucking shittiest part of the warp right, tour like yeah. it was just like you know it was like post California to Kansas City, oh. like just like the longest yeah, drive the for like the for just like the like hickest fucking suburbs or whatever. And, That's when you're uh, always like, how yeah. does Eastern Colorado look exactly like Western Kansas? I thought I was in the mountains. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 500 extra miles. Yeah. I didn't think about you know. <laughs> but so there's two bands that would always show up at the exact same time as us and like on our stages like there's two stages that were like side by side like that's how it goes and we'd all have the same like quote unquote call time um and it was good charlotte mm-hmm. um who asked me once if i wanted to get in on signing some tits and i said i'm good <laughs> Oh god! Okay, it's so it's so appropriate. Like if I was gonna write like a joke comic strip about that, I would probably include that. <laughs> like, yo, you want to get outside of these tits? Oh, I was like, I'm yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Who is the other then, one? The Black Halos. They were called. Oh, that, and that's vaguely familiar. These motherfuckers. <laughs> Get out of the van after like an eleven-hour drive, in just like skin-tight leather pants, Whoa. leather tank tops, and shit. And I'd be like, "Dude, don't you guys have like umbrellas or something? Like, you don't need to like, do what this. are you doing? Oh, I can't imagine the crotch rot in that van. Oh goodness, it's too fucking funny, man. There's some, you know, I was listening. You know, I've listened to Lawrence Arms for a long time, but. Uh, you know, I was just going through some tracks, like getting ready for the interview and refreshing and especially in your newer stuff too, I'm seeing, there's always so much melody in the band. There's always, you know, guitar wise, vocally, you know, it's a, it's a hook driven band and there's so much melody. And I was wondering when you're writing, like, what's your barometer for like catchy versus pop? Like, how do you know when to go too far, when to pull back and, and how do you like kind of seamlessly like incorporate like the melody into punk? Well, that's a question that implies that I know a lot more than I do (laughs) about what I'm doing. Um, but, but like, I, I appreciate it so much. Um, the truth is like, I write the words first and I've only got about four chords, five chords, maybe six to play with um, (laughs) in terms of like what I can do. And um, I, God damn it. You're going to make me launch off into another thing. Um, (laughs) I fucking, uh, so like when I was like, um, it was like 2003, something like that, 2002, 2003, we'd, just been on fat and I heard an interview with, I want to say it was Billy Joe, but I don't remember if it was, okay. but I'm just going to say it was Billy yeah, Joe for now. Just placeholder as a placeholder. <laughs> um, uh, 
and they're asking him about some, you know, like one of his real super popular, uh, you know, uh, when I come around, right? right? Like whatever. And he was like, oh, that song fucking just popped out of me in like five minutes. And I was like, that's what everybody says. Right, yeah. That's like every time you ask somebody about the best song they've ever written, they say, it came out of me in like five minutes. Yep. So that's it. No more bullshit. Mm. I'm only keeping the songs that pop out of me in five minutes. Which means I have to write immeasurably more. Right. Yeah. You know, like I'll have to write 200 songs to get to the ones that popped out of me in five minutes for enough for an album. But that's been my philosophy ever since. Oh, okay. So I don't pay much attention to poppiness and melody and like going too far in except for that I need that stuff in order for me to be interested in it Mm, right you know and 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 like but my main thing is I want those songs that sound like they fell right out Mm. yeah you know um that's my and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, for the last, like, almost 20 years, that's the only kinds of songs I've, I've ever written. Like, I, I don't believe in slaving over them. Anymore. It sounds like a lot of pressure, though. I mean, if you run into, a, have you ever run into, like, a a barren streak where just, like, nothing's coming out of you and, and kind of would put a little extra pressure on it? Or do you just uh, have the ability to create that much? Uh, <laughs> I think to call it the ability is, uh, really kind. I would say it's the compulsion and, uh, um, right. yeah. it's, it's not, it's not like, um, no, I, there's, well, first of all, there's no such thing as a barren streak when you like feel like you're dying if you're not making something. Right. You know, like, it's serving and some purpose is, regardless. Yeah. And the other thing is it can always be bad. That is mm. like, it, it, like if you were a songwriter, I think it's the most valuable lesson that you can learn is it can always be bad. Like you're never wasting your time. Even if the song sucks, just don't put it out. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, I don't want to hear your terrible fucking song, but like, uh, what you're doing is you're like clearing the pipes. Like you're, mm. you're fucking, you know? Okay. So like when I write, I'll sit down with a notebook and I'll, I'll write one page of lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, just in, in one sitting, probably three, four times a day. Okay. Right? And then I will try to set them to guitar and it won't work. <laughs> and it's only after I've done that over the course of like, I don't know, like 20 days, which means like fucking 80 pages of lyrics yeah. that I'll get something good. And that's when I go, 
oh my God, I suck at this. I cannot do it anymore. Right. I am, I'm bad. How about this? I'll just do this. And that's like, so on the new record, like the, the lyric that everybody uh, has like complimented me about is that we have a song called Belly of the Whale. And the opening line is, if I wasn't just one kid standing on another kid's shoulders in a trench coat, you'd be in trouble, buddy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but that's, but that's like fucking, I, I wrote that at a point where I was like, fuck it, I can't do this right, anymore. Right, right, like a hands up. How about of, this? Yeah. How about these lyrics, asshole? You know, right. if you think you're so, so fucking clever. And, but that's when it becomes good. So it's like every time you write something that sucks, you're just getting it out of the fucking pipe right. to get to the stuff that's good. Do you think you kind of like and do that on purpose maybe? Like is it after all these years, maybe some kind of function of your creativity is that you have to get to that kind of like bottom point to come with your with your best stuff that's an interesting question that i would have never in my life considered before i i don't think so um but yeah i mean you might be right i think i think for me it's just like i i just don't think being good is easy, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and like, and like, I don't know that you just get to hop on the bike and I, what I'm saying as I hear it, it, it's exactly what you're right. saying, but in like a, like denialist <laughs> way. Uh, but no, I mean, denialist Arby's. <laughs> when I started writing, uh, um, Skeleton Coast, the first song I wrote, try, even tried to write the first lyrics. First thing was that PTA song, which was the yeah, first single. Right. Um, and, um, so no, I, uh, you know, it, some, sometimes like, sometimes there's like a little bit of like lightning in a bottle in that regard, but no, I don't think so. I don't think I like flagellate myself on purpose. Sometimes you just have to yeah, just do the work. I just think sometimes you have to push through, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I think that's, that's the key. Cause you, you were, you were asking me about like, uh, having like, you know, um, uh, times of like barrenness in terms of like productivity. And I, I, I'm just saying like, that's, that's your time to, crank and crank and crank and you can really get the best shit after right. that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a perfect segue into uh, something I've been holding on to all the way to the end. And I think we're going to finish here because it's the perfect wrap. So we have a guest question <laughs> from uh, a mystery uh, a guest that I'm assuming by the voice you would notice. And it's sort of apropos to what we were just talking about. So uh, please, friend of the program, uh, gave us a guest question. Brad, could we play this? Uh, hi, uh, long-time listener and first-time caller. Uh, Brendan, would you ever consider doing Lawrence Arms' The Symphony? And if yes, what would you say the secret is to remaining relevant and not becoming redundant after 20-plus years and seven albums? <laughs> okay. So friend of the program, Brian Fallon. Gave us this guest question, long, long time listener of the Lawrence Arms. 
Was <laughs> he trying to disguise his voice? Or is okay? I've known Brian for fucking more than twenty. I mean, at least twenty years, right? I, I've known him for almost thirty years, and I've never heard him talk without that fuck. Like, well, you know, I'm just doing my thing, man. <laughs> and it's like long time listener for like they, it sounded like Jim Jeffries doing an American accent or something. <laughs> it's Brian doing is doing his on air voice. This is his radio voice. Yeah, it's perfect. I love it. Um, okay, would I consider doing a Lawrence Arms Symphony? Um, sh- sure, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it's and like. It's so funny, like when we we played um, Red Rocks with No Effects, um, oh, wow. and they did the Decline with the full orchestra. Mm-hmm. This and this is, re- I mean, one of the last live shows we played, um, and and I like me and Mike like used to be very very close, and then we kind of falling out and now we're like friendly (laughs) I would say and but um I saw him that afternoon and I like walked on the stairs I was like hi Mike and he goes we already said hi dude That is so. That is so fat, Mike. (laughs) The second I think we're cool again, you got to pull my pants down to my ankles again, huh? Yeah. But but so like I had this whole fucking thing because like this orchestra showed up and it was just a bunch of like fucking shitty hippie looking dorks (laughs) and like bad sweaters and like. You know, shit like that. Was it like a local? Yeah. Like, wait, Red Rocks is in Colorado. Colorado. So, was it like, like a local smoky orchestra? Like, he just found locals to do it. I I have no fucking idea. But and and so, they, to their credit, they did a great job. And I'm really not trying to talk any shit. But I was like pissed at Mike for kind of like shining <laughs> me, and I was about to be like. Dude, this is awesome. When's the real orchestra going to <laughs> I felt like, you know, obviously. Yeah. Mean question. Sure. But um, uh, to answer Brian Fallon's question, um, I really just kind of rip him off. That's the main thing I do. Um like, actually, like I said, that kind of is a joke, but I, first of all, I do rip Brian off quite a bit. And second of all, I think that like what you guys did, Benny, is like kind of like power through something that didn't know it wanted you, mm. you know? And, uh, and that's what we've always done. Right. And you guys became popular, like, I think, you know, very fast um, after (laughs) all the time of, like, grinding it out. Like, I'm not not trying to, like, uh, 
not acknowledge yeah, that. Yeah, sure, sure. Like, I get that. But it's like one, once it kicked in, boom. And kind of same for us, but it was like 17 years for us before it <laughs> happened. <laughs> right, you <know>? right. <laughs> and, and like, and the thing, the thing is like, did you ever see the Louis C.K. Um, uh, eulogy for George Carlin? No. Where he talks no, about... No, I haven't. There, he talks about how he was um, doing a stand-up and he had this, like, hour of stand-up that he had for 10 years, you know? This, this is what he had banked. And he was uh, playing in a... I'm talking about Louis right. was talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was playing in a Chinese restaurant <laughs> to people that didn't even know <laughs> there was going to be a standoff. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, how fucking <laughs> shitty is that? <laughs> yeah, that's a rough one. <laughs> I mean, rough like, gig. Rough I'm, gig. I'm taking my wife out to dinner and I'm like, finally, we're away from the kids. You know, maybe we can uh, rekindle the flame or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, hey, what's the deal (laughs) with applesauce? Wrong fucking time for a zinger, fella. (laughs) (laughs) But but so he's like, I played this set and nobody there cared. United, they didn't even not care. They actively sure, hated it. Right. And <laughs> I went into my car and I was looking in the mirror and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm too old to start doing something else. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. this is mm-hmm. it for me. I just suck at this. <laughs> How about like I take some inspiration and get good? And then he went on to talk about how like George Carlin became mm-hmm. his inspiration. Mm-hmm. But we all went through yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Like the three of us. Uh and, and like it was so weird when I heard Louis C.K. say that because that's the exact phrase I used. Talking to Chris, I'm like, I'm too old. I don't know what else to yeah. do. Uh-huh. You know, and I don't know. That made us get good. Yeah, I mean, there is there's something really uh, refreshing, right? When you just not only realize but really internalize the fact that you're a lifer, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. there's something kind of freeing about it. You know, I see so many people on tours in bands who talk about these like sort of secondary dreams, you know, the things they want to do at home or the degrees they, you know, that, that are foregone because of what they did and all that. And I'm always thinking in my head, I'm like, you know where you are, right? Like you're in fucking Berlin, Germany right now playing a show. Like, why the fuck are you thinking about any of that? You know, this is where you are. This is what you do. Like, like, what is that? What's that shit? And, uh, yeah, there is there is yeah. something about it when you just when you know what you are, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what you're saying is even better, which is like this is the dream factory, man, and it's <laughs> right. it's it's cool as shit, yeah. and like it's 
every every fucking job can suck. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, if like and like my like sort of uh civilian friends, you know, call me a rock star, which is not accurate. Yeah, 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 I, but like but like they I, know that. I get the I get the weird tingles on my arm every time someone says that. I'm like, Jesus Christ, can you stop? But but they but like but they're like but that is a dream job title. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> if if like I said something that rubbed Chris the wrong way or vice versa. And we get on, on stage and like, you know, and it's like, okay, here's 1200 people that all paid $50 to see you. Um, you're the host of the party. Go. <laughs> and, like, and this guy won't even look at me. It's like, this is a bad yeah, day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like the, it's not like digging a grave, you know, it's a lot easier than yeah. that, but it's, it is, it could be rough. I always think about how, like, if my job can be bad, I think male porn star, no matter if you're gay or straight, gotta be the best job in the world, right? It's like, here's the most beautiful person you could possibly sure, imagine. Yeah. And you're going to have the most athletic fantasy sex with them. (laughs) Like, like, I can't imagine there's any male porn star out there that's like, I hate. There's probably a lot of good days, let's say. But, (laughs) yeah. But every once in a while, you just don't want to go to work. Yeah, that's (laughs) it. You know what I mean? And it's like, if... If that can be a bad day, that would be the worst day, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And if that job can be bad, any job can be fucking bad. That's right. You know? It's all about how you frame it, right? Yeah. And and you're right, Benny. We are in the fucking dream factory, man. And it, it is... It's only at the end, I think, like when we're... Fucking that, you know, like we're going to look back and be like, wish I spent more time with my kids. Wish I did this. Wish I did this. And isn't it funny? Everybody wishes they spent more time with their kids. Like, it's <laughs> like, that. You, you don't really. I mean, they're fine. <laughs> but like, there's only so much kids you can take. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, COVID is definitely not a good time to make a judgment about that state. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually like bonded so much with my two children. Um, How old are your kids, Brandon? Ten and twelve, and it's it's like it's been the greatest gift of this oh. whole thing. Like, if I, as much as I'm like totally worried that I'll never be able to get back to the Dream Factory, um, I'm I'm so thrilled that I got to do like their dream factory with them a little bit, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's great. really nice. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean, I'm, I'm supposed to just like be like dick jokes. And no, no, and no. I, I'm sorry. I've, I've managed, <laughs> I've managed to convince people a good half a dozen times in this interview. You're a sweet guy. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. I need it. Yeah, no. Well, Brennan, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on for so long and 
telling, spinning all these tales. It was great to have you on. I've wanted to do this for a while. Oh man. Thank you for having me back on. And, and, um, I mean, yeah, the last time I did this, I don't, you weren't even, uh, on it. It was just, uh, the the other guy and the other guy was V1. Uh, if you want like an antecedent for that fucking, uh, Trump player <laughs> that I was talking about earlier. Um, it's not like completely dissimilar to Jonah. Uh, it's okay. I can see it. I think I think Jonah could even abide. Yeah, and he's very self. And I have a fairly strong feeling Jonah probably played some kind of horn or woodwind. <laughs> Or woodwind or something oh, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. I'd be yeah, shocked if, if he had the oboe, yeah. I'll eat my hat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's come up with a few uh, embarrassing photos. Yeah, too, so. yeah, yeah. He had the, he had a hell of an afro. All right, Brendan. Well, thanks, man. That was fun. Really appreciate you guys having me on. You guys are the best. Oh, thanks, man. Woo. What a ride. Oh, man. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like I just got beat up, had sex, smoked a cigarette, made up, and then like went out for breakfast. <laughs> wow. Uh, nice. Yeah, that, was, that was a journey. Thanks, Brendan. You know what's crazy about this, Brad? We're, we're recording this outro a day later. And there was something that happened in this episode that's never happened to me before. I was trying to get something out of Brendan. You know, I wanted to hear about his past, what shaped kind of... His, well, um, dude, you got like the exclusive. Well, well, the thing <laughs> is, and maybe the reason he wanted to give it to me, he was talking and I was literally like horrified because he kind of really astutely was pinpointing something that is just completely accurate in my own life that I never considered in that way. Really? And yeah, like really, like Brendan floored me. He like put me on my ass in that part because same as him, I was mostly raised by a single mom in an apartment. And there is, there's this like, you know, you don't consider it too much. And I'd almost want to talk to like more, I guess it would sort of maybe be unique to boys who are raised by women, but like this idea that, you know, you kind of take on a different role by default, you know, even regardless of what age you are. And you're sort of responsible for things that you're like not supposed to be. And I've always realized that, but I hadn't put it together that that is maybe what framed the fact that I am hypersensitive to people. You know, like I walk into a room and where some people are just like, thinking about themselves, I see every fucking person in the room. I see what they're doing. I see their facial expressions. I see everything around me, which can be pretty overwhelming, you know, when yeah. like, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it even causes like some anxiety in certain situations when it's too much. And that hyper awareness of like other people's situations and other people's, um, let's say mental or emotional standing at the time, you're kind of like groomed or trained to see it and to understand it and, and internalize it, you know? 
Um, and when he brought that up, I've literally been thinking about it since. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it was really like a powerful thing. And I think him and I actually, um, I think the way we see the world and the way we came up, like feels, feels pretty similar, you know? I didn't have a Malcolm though. No Malcolm for me. Like, carrying, <laughs> like yeah. I like, love that story. <laughs> yeah. No Malcolm for me. Like, like, you know, making me walk around stealing shit and stuff. I didn't have that. Oh didn't my that. God. That was too yeah, good. It was yeah. too good. But yeah, yeah. It was crazy though. Brendan, you know, is one of those, you know, you, you meet the guy in the surface, you'd be like, oh, this is like a silly guy. That's a really fucking smart dude. Oh, dude. The warp tour shit, just, I'm loving it so much. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad Warped Tour is not a thing anymore, so I don't have any like dog in the fight <laughs> so here. I can't you know? get fucked, dude. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, I have, yeah. I have a lot of friends very close to Lyman and, and uh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> but, me too. But I yeah, do too. yeah, by the end of that fucking shenanigan, it was nothing <laughs> punk rock about it at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And I even like, I, you know, I remember I went on a Warp Tour. Gaslight finally agreed to do it uh, after a couple years of being asked. And, you know, I think because um, we had been like rejecting the offers, we got the worst spots you could possibly right. get. Like, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and wherever, tent, you know, not even a tent. Warp Tour doesn't have tents. They just have random stages yeah. placed in random places. And, uh, I remember we were on the tour with like Against Me, Bouncing Souls, Street Dogs, you know, like some of our friends, like yeah. the punk rock friends, you know? Well, dude, you can't get on that tour without being at least one of your friends. There's so many fucking people on <laughs> Right. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it happened to be at like the height of like Christian metalcore and like this crazy emo core stuff where like, you know, the Devil Wears Prada is playing and, you know, you want to make fun of it, but all of a sudden there's like, 20,000 people going fucking berserk. And I just watched the street dogs play to like eight. And I'm like, oh, okay, something's weird here. But then there is this like theme of all the punk rockers, like really taking the kind of high and mighty punk rock road, right. you know, where it's like, we're better than this. And like, we shouldn't be doing this. And there is part of me sitting there the whole time that's like, eh, you know, like, eh, are we doing this better? <laughs> Because they're doing really well, you know, and like there's clearly something going on here that we don't understand and we're part of something else. Like, you know, I felt like uh, you have a choice at that point, right? You can either be the really self-righteous old man who's holding on to what they're doing and sort of attempting to ruin the time for the younger people. <laughs> and then and then I did manage when I was there to see myself as like a 15 year old at those like old New York hardcore shows. Right. When I was like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. I like victory records bands. <laughs> and I think agnostic front isn't great. <laughs> like, I really got to feel bad for this. Like, like, and even, even as an adult, I'm like, I'm right. Snapcase is a better band than Agnostic Front. I'm sorry. Agnostic Front was cooler. You know, they did cooler stuff. They, yeah, paved the way. Yeah. But they can't play like Snapcase. Can't play their guitars like that, you know? So I don't know. Like, I tried to stand up for the Devil Wears Prada when I was on it. It didn't play too well. I remember Laura Jane Grace giving me a, giving me a real razzing. 
Because <laughs> I gave her like the whole 10 minute spiel, you know, like, I don't know. We should be cool. We should do this. And she's just like, nah. <laughs> nope. No, we shouldn't. This sucks. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I try. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I've never been punk rock enough for the punk rockers. You know, I always feel too bad. Don't feel bad, dude. <laughs> I always feel bad. You're a punk but, rock. But thanks to Brandon for doing this and giving us so much time. We have a, a, a long, interesting history just because, um, you know, our, our guest question, Brian Fallon, had a uh, pretty old school connection to Lawrence Arms. So when Gaslight first started going to Chicago, we were, you know, tied into their scene. I think we even stayed at Chris's apartment early on. Nice. Knew their good friend, Brendan, and like... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I knew their good friend Amber. Uh, and Amber used to put us up in Chicago all the time. So it's always been like part of the narrative here. And I'm glad we finally got to come full circle like this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a good show. This is a good going off track. And uh, you can catch up with Brendan. We'll post all this uh, on our Instagram. But the Brendan Kelly uh, on Twitter, he's Bad Sandwich, which I think is fucking amazing. Yeah. The blog um, is fun too. Of course, the Lawrence Arms at both Twitter and Instagram. And we barely talked about it once. He's he's also the Arby's man. Oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't get into that. We didn't even talk about. It. <laughs> I told him when I was when I was booking the interview, I was like, I'm going to ask questions only about Hardee's. Does he still do it? I think he does. I I mean, it's funny. I think it's what got him all that work and like the you know <laughs> in that in that arena. So. Pretty fucking funny, man. All you need is a concept sometimes, you know? <laughs> anyway. Nihilist Arby's. So go check out Nihilist Arby's. Check out Brandon. And the last record, uh, Skeleton Keys, is really fucking good. Best Lawrence Arms I've heard in a long time and hadn't really dug into it too much till we did this interview. So still a great fucking band and oh, yeah. worth listening to all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks again to Brandon. Thanks to everyone who listens. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. 